0: You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney, and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts.
1: Hi, everyone. Before we begin today's episode, Melissa and I are excited to announce a new feature on the Protecting Your Practice website. If you're like most practitioners, client forms are not just a part of owning or running a therapy practice, but many are critical to you doing so in a manner that protects your practice. What we often hear from practitioners is that they struggle to make sure they have the forms they need to do that. Well, maybe we can help. You can now find a range of some of the most commonly needed forms that practitioners use with clients. Available to you for download on our website. Please go check them out. As always, though, and as we often say on the podcast, we strongly recommend that you consult with an attorney in your jurisdiction to ensure you are implementing all forms you may use, including any of ours, to ensure that they comply with the rules of your state. We will be rolling out more forms and other exciting updates in the near future, so please feel free to bookmark the site and check back as well. And now on to the show.
2: Let's get started. Joining us today is Uriah Guilford. Some of you already know of Uriah. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the owner of a group practice in Northern California. He is also the creator of Productive Therapist, a virtual assistant company that serves therapists in private practice. He is also a technology nerd, a minimalist travel packer, a rock drummer, and a business development enthusiast.
3: That's, That's a an interesting lot. guy.
2: <laughs> he is. He is.
1: <laughs> and I was going to say to, to you, welcome, to, it's exciting to have you here. It's certainly a joy, but you know, the topic we're going to be talking about today may not be so much as fun to talk about, but it is one that's extremely critical for practitioners to understand. Um, before we begin, I also want to just include a personal note. Um, when I was perusing some of your biographic information online, um, I was extremely moved by your own personal story uh, and how important uh, the role of a mental health professional played in your own life um, in terms of, um, you know, helping you as a young man. Um, As someone myself who has struggled with depression and social anxiety when I was a young man, it's really empowering to see you, um, you know, I think also in our culture to see another male talk about that so openly and being willing to talk about it. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you for that and how amazing it was to see that. Um, and how amazing it is it's brought you to a place now where you're helping other teenagers and parents with their own struggles. So I just wanted to say that for everyone and to and so thank you publicly for that.
3: I appreciate that so much. That That's very meaningful to hear those words. Thank you. It's been a wonderful Absolutely. journey. Not an easy one, but using all of my experiences, life and otherwise, to help other people is definitely what it's all about.
2: Yes. Well, we are glad you're here, Uriah. So when you and I first spoke, you were like, hey, I have this thing that I think we could talk about. Um, and so you're going to be talking with us today because you survived a payroll tax audit. I did. And if I'm being completely honest, there are a lot of things that I think about or like worry about like, okay, well, what would you need to do in terms of liability or risk management or documentation? And that was never one of them.
3: No, not even on the radar. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. And so I walked away going, Mm mm-hmm there's another thing you're there's supposed to be worrying to worry about. about. You <laughs> were worrying about that. And now I was like, oh my goodness, there's a thing. So well, the
3: reason why I brought it up to you too, is because I was just like, if, if I can share this uh, story about my experience, hopefully, and I think that's the intention of your podcast, I imagine is to get this information out there so practice owners can protect themselves and hopefully hopefully, worry less, right?
2: Yeah, so I think this is going to be a great topic. And that's the thing that's been really interesting as people are coming up with ideas is that some of the things people have been bringing to us are not things that were on our radar initially when we were brainstorming some of the topics that we wanted to talk about. So we are really looking forward to hearing about this. And we're going to let you get started in telling us what happened and even how does one get selected for a payroll tax audit?
3: Yeah, so... I hope this is an interesting story to the people listening, but the first notice I got was actually back in 2018. And I just got something that looked really official from the EDD, which is the Employment Development Department. And I sometimes when I check my mail, I, I get these kind of notices and I have a little bit of a panic, right? And I'm like, okay, I hope this is not something serious. And in 2018, I opened up this notice and it said, you were, you've been selected for a payroll tax audit. And I did panic because... This was only one year into transitioning from independent contractors Mm -hmm. to W-2 employees. And I'm sure you talk about that on the podcast and people kind of understand what that means. And I'm in the state of California and it's the laws and the requirements here are are very strict. And they've even become more and more strict over the last three to four years. So I I immediately called my CPA and tried to assess the sort of, you know, what could happen. Because I've heard Mm -hmm. about people being audited, and fined for misclassifying workers. And my CPA said, well, you've already made the change. And so you're probably not at very much risk, but still, I was worried about it. And I waited and waited and nothing happened. So that was 2018. It kind of just somehow I fell off the radar of the EDD. It's like, oh, phew, you know, um, and, and, and just for people who don't know this, when you get audited, at least for a payroll tax audit, they can go back up to three years. So they can dig as far as they want to go up to three years.
2: That is really good to know.
3: And that was not the end of it, was it? (laughs) That was (laughs) not the end. No. (laughs) But fortunately, you know, some time passed. And then I got another notice in 2021. And sure enough, they did follow through with this. And I was randomly selected. So it wasn't anything that I did or did not do. That's just something that they do probably in all states, I imagine, just to make sure that um, businesses are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I got contacted again and sure enough, they followed through with it. And, um, so lots of, lots of emotions, of course, right. I try to follow the rules, but I'm not a type one on the Enneagram, which I learned about from my friend, Whitney Owens, (laughs) um, which is somebody that like follows every single letter of the law and, and just make sure they do everything perfect. Right. So I do my best and just pray for the best. I know that's not a very good business strategy strategy is it, but (laughs) (laughs) I do the best that I can with the knowledge that I have. Is that fair?
2: That's fair. That's fair.
3: Hopefully that's fair. That's fair. I'm not a lawyer. I just want you to know. So that's okay. We still prefer clients like you over the ones who just don't care at all. and are just like, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So, and and I don't know if this is true of all auditors, but the one that I was matched with was very intense and serious. Um, I tried to crack some jokes did not go over. Mm. (laughs) She was there to, to take care of business, right?
2: So can you talk a little bit about what that process was like?
3: Definitely. She obviously walked me through exactly what they were looking for and what they were trying to accomplish. And then the started the detailed process of document collection and verification. So I found out fairly quickly that they were looking to check and see if my business was misclassifying any of my workers. Number one. Ah, Yes. So she was really interested to know, do you have any independent contractors? And I was so happy to say, no, I have zero. Right. So that was kind of the first thing. And the second thing was they want to make sure there's consistency um, in the source documentation, which basically just means they want to make sure that our time cards or whatever that looks like are matching up with payroll. So we're not, I assume they're looking to make sure we're not paying less payroll tax than we're supposed to and that we're paying our workers correctly, all of those types of things. So that's what they were looking for. And the auditor told me that there's three possible outcomes. She Mm -hmm. said, there's either gonna be number one, a no change order. So the law was complied with. Number two, um, they could issue me a credit. I was like, yeah, what are the chances? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then number three, there could be an assessment, uh, which essentially I would owe them money, Mm -hmm. which was honestly the most concerning thing is that they would find something that I was doing wrong and I'd have to pay a bunch of money back, right? So those were the three possible outcomes. And the whole thing lasted about two months and mm-hmm. it was demanding. They, they needed a lot. And they ended up going back and looking at all my records for one year, so the previous year. And then there were some problems, which I can unpack and tell you about if you want. And um, so they ended up digging into a whole nother year so I think I, I think I gave them upwards of 200 documents. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: In
1: terms of the documentation, was it easy for you to get the documentation? Was that something that you would say you had like available or did you really have to go stretch yourself a bit to try to get all that together?
3: Yeah, great question. So there were two people that were critical to help me pass this. And then there were two pieces of software that were critical. Um, the software was QuickBooks and... Mm-hmm. Gusto, which is my payroll service company. So they needed a bunch of things like balance sheets and um, charts of accounts from QuickBooks, those kind of things. So my bookkeeper, fortunately, I have a bookkeeper, number one. And so I could just email Greg and, and told him exactly what was going on. And he immediately um, gave me all the documents, downloaded all the right things for me. So that was super helpful. Thanks, Greg. From growthebooks.com. There's a little plug. And then also Gusto is... I really like Gusto as a payroll service provider. And if I was just using my CPA, I think it would have been probably fine, but more, more difficult. So I, I just called Gusto and they walked me through exactly how to download all my lists of employees, payroll reports, everything that I needed. So, so that was incredibly helpful. And then the other person, the second person who was um, instrumental in helping me survive the payroll tax audit was my practice manager, Jamie. Jamie. And um, she also functions in the HR and payroll sort of, sort of arena. So she was incredibly helpful as well.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a lot.
3: Definitely, definitely. So I, I just had curiosity, and, and,
1: and reason I'm asking these questions because I think the other people are wondering, you know, wondering if they go through this, they're going to have the same questions. How long a pro t- time process did that take? Were you given a time period that you know that they say you have until this date to give us thirty days, sixty days? And did you know? Or or it was more like, you know, get all these stuff and get them to us as soon as possible. Um, And what, you know, I know you said you were able to do all that. Was that something you were able to gather rather quickly? Or did it take you a week or two or a while to get all that together?
3: Yeah. She said that the audit would most likely last up to a maximum of three months. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I'm thinking like, there goes my summer. (laughs) Because this is like July, right? I'm like, great. Right. Um, and, and every step of the way, of course, I'm submitting everything and giving oh, her everything okay. that she's asking for and just hoping and wondering and having anxiety about like, is it good enough? Is she going to find anything and and all that kind of stuff. So it ended up only being two months. And part of the reason it was only two months is because I just, every time she asked me for something, um, we turned it around in about 48 hours. So we gave her everything that she needed and more yeah. and which I, I imagine in her role is not that common or it might be. Not always common, right? So she actually praised me on my um, documentation and timely responsiveness. I was like, "Yes." Proactive That's what therapist. I was
2: wondering. Yeah. You complied with the
3: golden <laughs> rule, which is don't piss off the auditor. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I learned that. Yes.
2: So how did things turn out for you after this two-month period of time?
3: Yeah. So the end result was a no penalty, no change order, which is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the law was complied with and. They didn't have anything. They didn't have any feedback for me to tell me that I was doing something incorrectly. I was honestly very, the thing I was most nervous about was that they were going to have a problem or an issue with my compensation structure, mm-hmm. which we can talk about if you want to.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: And in California, there's a lot of laws and guidelines around employees, just period, across the board, right? And so I now I use a, a commission structure with um, an additional hourly pay rate. So I was, you know, considering based on the feedback that was going to come back, do I need to change my whole compensation structure? Is that compliant with California law? Um, and the, the fact that I passed the audit didn't necessarily give me a stamp of approval on my compensation structure, but she didn't have anything to say about it. So that, that was good. I thought that was good. I didn't want to change everything.
1: Question I have is, and this sometimes happens, you know, and this, this comes up, for example, in insurance audits you know, is where something gets flagged. In your case, it was, hey, we're doing a payroll audit. And you're like, "Okay, great. Here's all my documentation. And then they come back and say, great. Well, we found a different issue now, (laughs) right? Tell them that we weren't even looking for initially, but now we think there's something big. Is that, was that something that ever crossed your radar as you were submitting this that you thought, man, you know, as far as I know, everything's in order, you know, and I'm responding to what they're asking for, but I'm hoping, you know, just a, I feel like just naturally there would have to be that in the back of your mind, you'd be like, man, I just hope the God I don't find anything else.
3: Right, right. You know, it's funny. You, you were talking about my my personal story and my mm-hmm. background in my in my youth, mm-hmm. in my teenage yeah. years. I was uh, struggling with my mental health and with a yeah. lot of different things. And I may, I may have broken some laws back in the day. And been very who paranoid about right? it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think most of my life, since my adolescence, I've had this like concern, like looking, looking over my shoulder, making mm-hmm. sure like, is it, am I doing anything wrong? Is, mm-hmm. is somebody going to find something that I'm doing wrong? So like, you know, some mild paranoia. Um, But so when I was going through this audit process, I did think about that. And there was something that came up, which involved a multi-state employee. I had somebody who was employed in a different state that moved states. And so that uh, caused some complications. But what she ended up saying was that that was actually outside of the scope of the payroll tax audit. And it was, in fact, not an EDD issue. So mm. there was no I don't think there was any problem with that. It was just slightly complicated tracking payroll from one state to another. So yeah, and generally, in, I will tell you thats
1: I've had that question come up <clears throat> and it is it is is it is not a quick and easy thing. And people do have to be careful with it because that's another area that can get, get you tripped up on.
3: Definitely. So I don't know how relevant this will be to your audience necessarily, but I want to say that if someone is considering opening a separate business from their private practice, whatever your, you know, entity structure is, I would advise creating a separate entity. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the complications that <laughs> Dan's pumping his fist. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> one of the major complications, to be honest, was that in 2014, 20- 15, I started a a second business as a DBA underneath my S corp, which is my counseling business. And I didn't know that it was going to turn into a full fledged business, which is now productive therapist or has been productive therapist. Um, and then in 2021, I actually split it out into a separate corporation, but the payroll tax audit covered the period where (laughs) I was employing people in six different States as virtual assistants under my counseling corporation. And oh my gosh, yeah, that was tricky. And with different pay, payment structures or compensation structures for the virtual assistants versus the therapists. Oh boy.
1: Not, not only is that applicable to our, our audience, but this is actually on a larger scale, um, a very serious consideration. And I've had this question come up a number of times working with clients who have this exact scenario, and uh, not the tax part, but hey, I want to do a separate business. And it's for that reason I always, in my mind, the purest way to do it, the safest way to do it, is it, you know, create a separate business because it is separate, separate income streams, separate bank accounts, separate everything. There is a liability part of it, because if something happens or someone wants to sue you or there's a complaint about one, it's not going to affect your other one, right? The second thing though is, as you kind of point out, if there is ever a regulatory audit or you know anything like that you know, it's clear to say, okay, well, whatever your issues are with the one it doesn't apply to the other, right? So It makes your life easier and much more simpler. Um, but you know, one of those things, that's one of those things where any practice owner who's considering doing that, you, I'm telling you because I'm an attorney who consults with clients on this, you must consult with an attorney because every state's different. So, but it's a really important consideration and I agree with you. Yeah, I would so- think that
3: a lot of therapists are opening coaching practices maybe mm-hmm. and that might Makes sense Correct. to have that separate, or really anything that's not your core business mm-hmm. of your private practice. Yeah, if one I could of go the back, consider- I would do I would do it differently.
1: <laughs> and one of the considerations that comes up with coaching practices, and, and, and conversations I have with clients is that if you have a client who's a therapy client, and you have a therapy who's a coaching client, but the coaching client knows that you're a licensed therapist. You better make sure that that coaching client knows that you are not acting in your capacity as a therapist for them, and that your board in Maryland this matters. Uh, the ground boards do care about this, that you're not doing something that's considered actually to be therapy and then calling it not therapy, Mm -hmm. right? Cause they, that, that, that matters (laughs) and your malpractice and malpractice that also affects how your malpractice is going to be applied. So these are all considers. I absolutely agree that if, if anyone's going to be opening a coaching practice, there are a number of different things you need to make sure you've checked mark off before you just, do it.
2: So, and you're, I hope that once this was over, you had some kind of a chance to breathe, relax, celebrate Maybe. something.
3: Vacation. Maybe. What did, I, what did I do? I'm trying to remember. I think I just breathed a huge sigh of relief and probably made an extra cocktail or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Something. Yeah. What would you say you learned at the end of the day? What is one of the takeaways that you had from this experience?
3: Yeah, definitely. I, it made me grateful for my team and my systems, right? So I pay a lot of attention to that and have really worked on hiring professionals and using the right software to run my business um, and, and try to protect my practice, right? Mm-hmm. To use the name of the podcast yes. in there. Um, and, that, and that really worked out well. And I was so thankful for that um, so that it wasn't all on me and I could comply with everything um, mm-hmm. quickly. That was really, really wonderful. And and then also, I think, I mean, it made me more conscious of things such as this. <laughs> it expanded my awareness and uh, about other things to pay attention to. And so I think that was helpful. Um, whenever I'm trying to make business decisions, I try to do as much research as I can, consult with the right people, and then make the best decision that I can. And if I make a mistake, and if there was some sort of negative outcome to the payroll tax audit, most likely I would have. I've obviously learned in the process of that and it probably nothing terrible would happen if that makes sense. So I guess what I'm thinking is I try not to let fear of these types of things stop me from taking actions.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think there's, and there's two points that are really important that you just made. And number one is that system, right? Having the right systems in place means that if something does happen, well, then you have a process to deal with it and you have everything organized so you can address it, right? Which is what made your life easy is that you could go back to Augusto, you could go back to your bookkeeper and they were like, boom, here's your documentation you need. Um, the second thing is that there's risk. There's always an element of risk when you're doing a business. This is part for of sure.
2: it. sure. Yeah, and for yeah. anyone else who um, who hasn't gone through this but now has it on their radar what are some things that people can be doing to start protecting their practices or to just make sure that they have their ducks in the row in the event that they would ever get same letter in the mail.
3: Definitely. I think the number one thing is about how you classify your workers. Mm-hmm. And I know it's different in different States because I have coaching clients in Texas and in Florida and some of these States where they, they call it the wild West <laughs> um, where there's just not as much um, restrictions and, and requirements So make sure that you're complying with the guidelines specifically around classifying people as independent contractors. I know there's Mm -hmm. still a lot of therapists out there that are doing that and some are doing it correctly. And then some are putting themselves in more of a risky position. So make sure you consult with um, an attorney, make sure you consult with the the right professionals to make sure that decision is made correctly.
1: And my recollection is correct. I think California is a state where you can't even have independent contractor therapists at this point.
3: There was a, a there was a ruling or there was a court case that made it more difficult and almost impossible to do so. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Um, Unless there's certain parameters Mm -hmm. around if you're a psychologist, but yeah, in general, um, licensed therapists can't have independent contractors who are Mm -hmm. doing the same work that they're doing in the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And yeah, it is very state specific because in Maryland you can, right. But I know practitioners who have gotten into trouble before, and it's always going. And thus far, from what I've seen, it's fallen on, you know, how carefully are you defining the contractor. How are you, you know, what it, you know? What are the parameters of the relationship? And if they're not crystal clear, or there's any ambiguity, ambiguity, and at that point, let's say the state does or federal government does investigate you and they find that, that's where then it opens up the doors to more questions. And I think that's the most important rule I often tell people is, and maybe you'll agree, is that. You know, unless your state specifically says you can't do it, it's not that you can't. But I tell clients that unless if you're someone who's, as you said, the rules person, if you're very diligent, and you do everything by the book, then maybe you can do contractors. But if you're someone who even, you know, not saying fudges, but someone who, you know, is a little more free control over it, um, you know, a little loose, less loose um, ripping things, I guess, control. Um, W-2s are always going to be safer, in my opinion. Because, you know, to my knowledge, the they were less concerned, states and, and the federal government are less concerned with an employee being categorized as a, uh, sorry, a contractor being uh, 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 categorized as an employee than an employee being con- mm-hmm. uh, uh, categorized as a contractor. Because, you know, a lot of times those who are going to try to intentionally skirt the rules are going to pass their employees off as contractors so they don't have to pay the taxes or pay the other costs that are associated with having employees.
2: Properly classifying workers. Anything else, Uriah, that you would recommend for people who are just wanting to make sure that they have things in order?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, having a business attorney on call is something that is is worthwhile. And I actually, it's on my list right now to find a, a good business attorney for my second business, for productive mm-hmm. therapists. And um, things something came up recently where I was talking to my team and I was like, I wish, you know, we had a, basically a contract dispute with somebody (laughs) very unpleasant. So I think that's, that's the next thing that I'm going to do. And and I would recommend for sure.
1: We we did not tell him to say that, but no, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it is important. No, it it really is. It is important. We said that before on this, on this podcast, that along with having a bookkeeper accountant, you know, for your business, having an attorney is really important just because of how many laws and rules you have to follow you know, both in the healthcare field and just as a business.
2: Yeah. And this is a really helpful topic, I think, for people to know about. Again, it wasn't on my own radar. So it's possible that it wasn't on other people's radars as well, but important to know that it can happen, how to respond, how to be prepared. Um, And fortunately for you, it sounds like things went really smoothly. I mean, I'm sure the process was stressful, but at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, um, there was a positive outcome Um, so we're really glad that you brought this to our attention. I think it's going to be really helpful for people and for people who want to get in touch with you, Uriah, how can they find you? How can they get connected? Definitely.
3: Yeah. And and thank you again for letting me share that story. I figure somebody's going to listen, even if it's only one person and Mm -hmm. be better prepared and, uh, be better off. So that's good. Yeah. If you're interested in anything that we have to offer at Productive Therapist, we provide virtual assistance to private practices around the, the US. And we also have training and coaching and some accountability programs. Everything is housed at Productive And we would love to uh, support you in some way.
1: That it basically wraps it wraps up today. We're really appreciative of you coming by. Um, you know, one of the things, as we've we've mentioned on prior episodes, is, you know, what's great about this series we're doing now is bringing on people like Uriah to talk about issues that people may not have be thinking about or on their radar, but that are really critical or can be really critical to your business. Just as a special reminder, I mentioned this when when we first started today, I'm going to mention it again. Um, We are excited to announce uh, a new feature on the Protecting Your Practice website. Um, You can now head on over to the website, find a range of uh, some of the most commonly used forms that practitioners use with clients available for download. Um, As I mentioned at the beginning, as I've mentioned on many episodes, I always strongly recommend that you have legal counsel look at any form you are working with, whether it's one from us or in general, um, just one that you have or have been given. Um, It's really important that you're making sure your forms are compliant with your state's rules and laws. Um, Otherwise, that's about it, Uriah. I really appreciate you being here. As always, to everyone else, again, please also head over to our website or go to the Facebook page if you want to reach out. Uh, if you have questions for Uriah, we can pass it on to him. If you have questions for us, please reach out. Other than that, we will appreciate everyone listening and we'll talk to you
0: soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit ProtectingYourPractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.